1: If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard.
2: Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on VoiceAmerica.com, the health and wellness channel. Today, we have a guest. It's Dr. Andrew Pomerantz of the Western Diabetes Institute at Western University Health Sciences. And he has instituted and leads a great program of integrative care of diabetics. Uh, Dr. Pomerantz, how are you today? I'm fine, Dr. Bob. How are you? Great. I'd like you to tell a little bit about your background with diabetes and uh, what brought you to have such an interest in diabetes and the treatment of such individuals. So if you just describe the whole program, we'd be eager to listen to you.
3: Oh well, sure. That would be great. We, um, the Western Diabetes Institute is probably best described as um, an integrated practice unit, which is we, we pull um, expertise from uh, multiple disciplines and pull them together and organize mm-hmm. ourselves around people with diabetes, and the medical conditions or health conditions that are very commonly associated with diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease, et cetera. And we did this because we saw that clearly there was an epidemic of diabetes that has occurred over the last 30 years, and we realized that um, the care model that exists in our country and elsewhere is um, uh, really not sufficient to diagnose the extent the complexity and the severity of each patient who has diabetes and then use that information to create a personalized, more precise care plan that the patient themselves um, is an active um, decider on what's, which types of um, activities or interventions should be done. And so the, the, the care model that's required for diabetes, and I specifically am talking about type 2 diabetes, which represents over 95 percent of the epidemic um, really requires a new way of thinking about care, first of all, from diagnosis and second of all, for care delivery for the entire cycle of that condition, which essentially is the rest of a person's life. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we organized um, medical specialists and non-medical people uh, from specific, um, physical therapy, uh, dietitian and nutrition diabetes education, clinical pharmacy, put them together with endocrinology, nephrology, kidney doctors, uh, heart doctors, eye doctors, etc. And we even pulled in uh, dental specialists because uh, periodontal disease um, is a condition that is very prevalent in people with diabetes as well as the general population, but far, far, far more in those who have diabetes. And we needed to put the mouth back in the body. Um, So by doing that, we afforded ourselves the ability to create a one-stop shop for diagnosis. So patients who, people who had uh, been diagnosed with diabetes and all they knew was that their glucoses were elevated enough to be considered diabetic, um, they would be referred to us by their primary care provider for a full-day evaluation uh, from head to toe. And based on that evaluation, we were able to create a composite schema of their condition, their profile that included uh, comorbidities or any complications of diabetes, including the eye, and then in turn devise and formulate a very personalized care plan uh, for that individual, communicate that back to uh, the referring primary care provider and anybody else across that patient's um, healthcare ecosystem. So, whatever other providers they have for different reasons, who are in the community and elsewhere, we needed to create a mechanism to communicate that information. So, uh, we essentially disruptively innovated um, care delivery without um, necessarily bringing new technology in. We just reorganized what we were doing, and that's that's that plan that uh, that new program has been in place now for almost two years and we're
2: still going strong and there's a huge demand for it. Wow. You know, Doctor, you mentioned that uh, it's becoming epidemic in the last 30 or 40 years. What is leading to this epidemic? Why is there so much more prevalence of this?
3: Well, that's been the, the big question for many people and Uh, The prevailing sense is that this was a combination of lifestyle changes um, amongst um, uh, people living in the United States and other developed countries, but it's also occurring in developing countries as well at uh, epidemic rates. So this is truly a pandemic around the world. Um, So it's probably a combination of factors. There's lifestyle, there's the foods, the type of foods that people are eating, it's the generally the activities throughout the day. Are people getting exercise or regular sort of mm-hmm. activity, or are they sitting at their desk, um, you know, uh, watching voice listening to Voice America? Or are they doing other stuff? And <laughs> this, so there's 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 um, certainly a, a theory that 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 change in lifestyle, which has led to increasing body weight and obesity at epidemic levels, is related, and it it likely is. Uh, But I can say that there are other uh, theories that pertain to um, the the gut microbiota that also may be contributing to um, the obesity and the the diabetes epidemic. I think that uh, we need to keep our our minds open as to what really could be the underlying causes. But certainly within the last 30 years, uh, this is too fast for our own human genes to change. So there has to have been a combination of uh, environmental factors and maybe even microbial factors that uh, are vital in making us who we are as humans. So um, I would say that uh, we all need to, to work on what we can as far as if there are lifestyle changes that need to occur, uh, but I, I have a sense that there, there's a, a deeper explanation that um, we'll learn about.
2: And your program... Is located in Pomona, California, which is in Southern California. That's the Western uh, Diabetes Institute. Right. Uh, is this being spread around, or is this type of discipline being practiced in other parts of the country, or in that part, I mean, for that matter, any parts of the world?
3: Yes, yeah, so it's a very interesting question because there's um, a global interest in creating hub and spoke models for integrated practice around. Diabetes and and multimorbidity, or the the complex medical conditions that go along with diabetes, to move away from this concept of just having one doctor manage everything for you, um, to, to consider a team approach which requires expertise that um, is truly the best expertise you can get to, and so um, the idea of creating a diabetes institutes that are cross disciplinary and integrated and coordinated and putting them geographically in places where they can serve a population um, and uh, adapt to local health care um, practices, which uh, is, is important because most health care, all healthcare, care, is local at some level. Um, but there are there's a need to create international standards of what outcomes are and how care should be delivered. But essentially, care is a very local phenomenon. People go within a certain area for their care. And we want to make sure that that expertise is brought to everybody. So there are people in Asia and Latin America and um, in the Middle East where diabetes is disproportionately affecting these populations. There's a huge interest in creating a WDI type model there uh, and, and creating a, what's called a leapfrog solution where you know, you sort of change the way care is delivered from day one, as opposed to build a traditional system and then, you know, and then start to change. You we need to to think in terms of a whole new way of of, of approaching diabetes. And um, because the epidemic has occurred, then that's the impetus to to begin to think about innovative models. And ours is an example of an innovative model. Um, so there's yes, there, the answer to your question. There's a great interest in doing this. Um, It comes down to how do you implement this.
2: And on the local level here in Southern California, if an individual wants to get in contact uh, with your program, how would they go about it? How would the primary care person, uh, physician, get involved with this and possibly get the patient enrolled in your program?
3: Yeah. Uh, it's actually been uh, fascinating to us because we have we don't do advertising it's uh, become uh, a word of mouth phenomenon patients that we've seen or people that know somebody and in combination with other uh, primary care doctors all around southern california that have found out about us and they've sent their patients in because they've select certain patients uh, have been you know not where they want them to be in their care plans and they feel that an integrated practice unit coordinated care model would be ideal and so there's a selection on the process of primary care doctors saying, I want to send you in, and they, they come in, and we, we set them up for the evaluation, and we go from there. Uh, we have created um, new models of um, reimbursement with um, health plans to look at not just a fee-for-service for care and the volume of care, but uh, sort of bundled payment schemes for uh, services that are bundled together, as opposed to you know getting paid for every little single thing you do, it's all part of a larger picture. Um, it's not capitation, but it's it's a bundled services and a bundled payment uh, schema, and that's all important because to you know healthcare there is costs associated with providing care for people with conditions, and mul- more conditions you have, the more expensive it is. Um, but we've got to figure out a way to move uh, toward a value-based approach where um, y- you are improving the, the outcomes that is delivered to a, a person, and whoever's paying for that care feels that they're getting more bang for their buck, um, as opposed to uh, we're not really measuring anything, and and we don't really know how well we're doing. And so I think that's that's kind of where WDI is, is moving as well. Um, and so patients can come in, basically they easily can call and make an appointment, and we insist that everybody who comes here has a primary care provider already established or will get mm-hmm. one. We do not provide primary care. We work collaboratively with primary care providers so that um, we create a larger team and thereby deliver the higher-value care. And that's the model. Um, and it's it's captured, It's it's really... Gain traction and capturing interest uh, of a lot of people, and so including the payers, health plans who are starting to recognize this, and the, the, the consumers of the care uh, have easily seen the value proposition for them. Um, and uh, so we, we will see over time uh, what the ultimate uh, larger outcomes are. But in the short term, people are feeling that it is uh, worth putting a day in with us and and being part of this model.
2: Okay, I'm going to have some more questions for you after the break. But what I want you to think about is how are the responses of the patients who are enrolled in the program? Being, and we are going to be taking our first break now. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the VoiceAmerica.com channel on health and wellness.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com
3: forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do
1: you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery, and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery, and there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at ranchoidoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local Chambers of Commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoIdoctor.com or if you are in Southern California, call us at 909 980 3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909 980 3535 or RanchoIdoctor.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to one 866 472 5792. That's one 472 5792 Or you can send an email to RanchoOptometric at Verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio.
2: Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob, and we're discussing diabetes with Dr. Andy Pomerantz of Western Diabetes Institute. So we've been discussing your program. How's the response of the patients? who are already enrolled in the program, Dr. Pomerantz? Well, the, the people who have gone through this um, have had
3: um, wonderful responses they've expressed to us. Um, some of them have, uh, have even said they, they didn't really understand their condition mm-hmm. until now. Uh, and on average, the patients who come see us have had diabetes for about a dozen years. And um, many of them are not just health Illiterate, but they're actually illiterate uh, of the word, wow. and so we've needed to connect with a, a, a population so they can better understand their own condition uh, without relying too much on the on the written word. Uh, but we've we've found that people are transformed by this, and uh, we haven't had anybody who said I, this is just awful. Um, the only the only negative would be I have to spend a whole day with you, but um, for the most part, they're willing to do that. And, um, and we're able to flex our schedule, uh, to work with theirs if some, if some work or they take care of children or whatever the case may be. So, um, the bottom line is that the outcome from, from going through this experience and being a part of our care cycle, our model over the year, it, to them, really seems to be valuable. And they're willing to, um, to trade off the inconveniences of having to go to multiple doctors at different sites. To get a diagnosis of their different, uh, you know, organ systems, um, with the idea of spending an entire day in one place. But we we provide a lunch for them, and that's part of their educational uh, experience that first day. So we don't we don't starve them. We we, we feed them, and uh, uh, it generally, it's an incredibly um, a positive experience. And um, you know, I I I, th- I think the big the big response we get from people is that everybody should be managed this way. And so
2: we are very happy with that, of course. That's great. And I'm going to assume that's a pretty healthy lunch, too. Uh, Okay, we're going to shift gears because this is Vision Talk Radio. Uh, Let me ask you a question, Dr. Pomerantz. Why should our listeners care anything about diabetes and their eyes? And for that matter, how does diabetes affect the eyes? Yeah, that's
3: a very important topic. And the reason I wanted to come on the show is because... um, You know, diabetes affects the eyes in a a number of ways. One of them is that it affects the blood vessels. Uh, elevated glucose over a period of time affects the blood vessels and kind of chokes off the blood supply to the eye itself. And it's a very, over time, if it's not managed properly, can lead to blindness. It's the most common cause of adult blindness in this country, and it's preventable. Um, About 25% of Americans, don't even know they have diabetes, um, and if that's the case, then they may end up developing complications of the diabetes, including blindness or visual problems, um, without even knowing that they have diabetes. First off, and and that's a that's a tragedy. It's because the eye is able to be visualized by um, modern techniques. Um, there's really no reason to to not have a proper eye exam to make sure that your diabetes has not affected your eyes. But for some reason, um maybe half the patients in the country, if you looked at the entire country, half the patients who have diabetes known actually get an eye exam every year to look for eye disease. And that's that's not good. Um, so can um can these changes be found early enough to slow the progression? Yes. And uh, the best thing to do is to uh, detect small changes in the back of the eye, uh, and, and then look at the total care of their particular diabetes to make sure that it's optimally controlled. And all of that works together. So, uh, it's essentially, um, it's, it's a standard of, of care. One of the reasons why A person would not really think too much about it is because most of the time the visual changes that occur uh, occur late and so people may not have any reason to see an eye doctor otherwise and uh, their vision may be fine they may not even need glasses so uh, there's Mm -hmm. um, you know there needs to be a great awareness on the part of everybody who has or is at risk for diabetes to to go through the proper evaluation which is with an eye specialist um, and to at least know where they stand going forward. And if we can do that, we, we hopefully can prevent a lot of people from developing uh, preventable blindness.
2: You know, one of the things I was wondering about, obviously the earlier the person develops type 2 in life, the better chance or the worse chance they're going to have these complications, especially vision. With yes. this type of program, let's say an individual... Uh, develops type 2, let's say, in their early to mid-30s. With this type of care, can we foresee, because I'm an eye doctor myself, an optometrist, could we foresee that they can go throughout their whole life, lead a normal life into their 70s, 80s, and maybe even 90s without developing these changes in vision, or eventually something's going to give you a feel?
3: Yeah, th- the complications of diabetes, including the eye, are not a fait accompli. They're not... Um, you know, it's just not everybody is destined to have problems, oh, really? regardless of control. Mm-hmm. So, the key the key point of going through uh, a screening for the eye, as well as screening for other complications, is to is to find out if patients already are having uh, problems that need to have a different type of intervention, whether it's a tighter control of their glucose or their blood pressure or the lipids. Um, sometimes that's not really optimal, and so changes that are developing can be stopped from progressing and, and maintained in that sort of state of, of mild disease of the eye, and they could stay that way for the rest of their life. They're not destined to develop major visual problems, but they could also develop Glaucoma, increasing pressure in the eye, and some of them can, and more people can develop cataracts who are diabetics than those who aren't. So there are a number of eye problems that need to be looked for, and the only way to, to really, uh, improve the outcome for anybody who has a condition that can lead to that is to keep a very close, hate to say it, keep a close eye on them, and, um, (laughs) and just so they understand their, their condition, and not wait for symptoms to develop to, uh, or say the absence of symptoms is telling them that they're okay. They can certainly have disease and not have symptoms until it's really far along. And um, But to, to be concerned that they have diabetes and therefore there's nothing they can do or it's, it's going to happen anyway, I think it's first of all wrong. Um, there is a lot you can do and you can maintain, one, one can maintain oneself in a very, optimally control healthy condition and control the disease and not be controlled by it. And I think that that's the world that we live in today. We couldn't really say that 30 or 40 years ago. Um, We can say that today. And uh, people would do themselves a great favor if they make sure that they have gotten all the screening and preventive measures they can so they know where they are. Um, And there's no reason not to look.
2: And one of the things that's really interesting to me is as an optometrist, there have been a couple of situations where all of a sudden the patient will notice a big change in their vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, within a day, they can be almost like 2400 where they can't see anything, and all of a sudden they become twenty twenty the next day. And I mean that literally. Mm-hmm. And that to me is one of the first, especially when they have all the signs of thirst, and we will send them over for referral to their position of check the sugar and more times than not that is the problem we're able to follow and I have followed many of these individuals uh, that have diabetes and normal retina We're able to dilate them and check them but one of the things again the same concern I have all of a sudden they've been diabetic for 10-12 years and all of a sudden their vision changes and changes dramatically they've been diabetic and I send them to their physician, and sometimes the sugar doesn't change. And I'm always wondering with that, eventually the prescription will level out. So this is one of the things where optometry is involved. And optometry has been uh, following many of these patients until the time they're just about developing significant retinopathy where they have to be referred chew an ophthalmologist for possible laser to deal with these problems. Mm-hmm. One of the questions also that I want to know is that if I have diabetes uh, and all of a sudden I become insulin dependent versus the non-insulin dependent, how does that change the prognosis of the situation or the severity of the situation? Severity pertain to the eye? Uh, um, yeah, is it going to be? Is it going to indicate that hey, I have a better chance now of losing some of my vision due to the fact that all of a sudden I'm starting insulin?
3: Right. Uh, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because there are a number of people who are, are under the misconception that if I start insulin, I'm going to go blind, um, and and that isn't the case. Uh, what what sometimes happens is that people uh, require different types of medicines to control their blood glucose and, and sometimes that ends up being an insulin preparation. Um, the, the development of complications from insulin requiring diabetes is not because the insulin was used. I mean insulin is actually what our bodies usually produce and metabolize the, the glucose. So um, uh, using insulin is not a, uh, does not contribute to eye disease. What, what's contributing to the eye disease is likely the poorly controlled glucose that had been existing prior to starting the insulin. And so sometimes what people see is they know somebody who developed blindness after going on to insulin, but what they don't see is the, the continuum of progression of disease that, that led up to that point. And that is really what needs to be under control. So the insulin itself is it, going on insulin is, is not. Uh, a risk for developing blindness, it is poorly controlled diabetes and poorly controlled elevated blood sugars for a long time that is the risk to the eye.
2: Okay, uh, one other question, and we'll probably handle it afterward. If a person's on insulin and they're type 2 and they've just gone on it, did they ever improve themselves either through diet or through exercise or both to be able to get off the insulin and so forth? And we'll probably want to answer that question. After the break. And right now, you're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the VoiceAmerica.com channel.
1: If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at Ranchoidoctor.com There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local Chambers of Commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535
0: or RanchoIdoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio.
2: Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob. Dr. Pomerantz. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people with diabetes are aware that they need an annual dilated exam. In actuality, how many people are actually getting it? No, that's a very good
3: question. There's a disconnect between uh, the understanding of the importance of, of eye care in having diabetes and those who actually undergo the screening. Um, so uh, the the surveys that have been published recently by American Diabetes Association, actually about a year and a half ago, uh, showed that almost 100% of people who have diabetes knew that there was a risk of blindness. Um, and uh, But yet 20% of people had not had an eye exam in, in the the previous 12 months. So there's there a disconnect between understanding it uh, and actually acting on that understanding in, in a, 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 um, a self-beneficial uh, way. Um, if you look at CDC data, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, they survey uh, known people with diabetes uh, who are adults throughout the country, and the rates of... Annual eye exams uh, runs anywhere from between 50 and 60 percent, and that's across Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial insurers. So uh, that's that's clearly unacceptable, and um, so there's there's a great need to to think about how can we make that um, you know close to 100 percent of people getting what they need as far as preventive care. Uh, so, there's, there's a, a need for increasing awareness, and some of it may be the inconvenience of having to go to a, an eye doctor for my diabetes unless, you know, I, I also go for other reasons to the eye doctor. Uh, so, some of it may be the way our system is set up, and um, part of what WDI does is it says, well, at the very least, we will do a, a retinal eye exam a full dilated eye exam in your evaluation, and we will link you to ongoing care as needed, whether it's here with our optometrists or it's uh, to uh, that, that individual's optometrist that they just haven't seen in the last few years. So uh, there's a lot of options, but we're increasing the access to diagnosis and access to care by doing that.
2: With the people whom you're working with, mm-hmm. uh, at uh, the Western Diabetes Institute, fortunately or unfortunately, how many people have really lost useful vision that you've seen or outside of uh, the Western Diabetes Institute, patients whom you've come in contact with and so forth? We,
3: we have it, at the Institute seen about less than 10% of our population needs immediate referral for laser um, Surgery, laser treatment for um, proliferative or active retinal disease. So it's 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 encouraging that we're not seeing a whole bunch of people who are who are in urgent need, but um, there there are a significant number of people who are kind of on the continuum where they're they're on their way, and so they they are very close from from being somebody that we would observe over the a 9- to 12-month period to we're going to be referring them to a retinal specialist early. Um, But probably uh, a very small percentage uh, are already blind. Um, So, again, that's not a necessarily representative uh, sample from the greater population, but it's who we're seeing, and these people are coming in poorly controlled. So about a third of the patients that we see in our cohort do have evidence of diabetic retinal disease. Um, and about 8% of them need to immediately go over to the retina specialist. So that's kind of what the numbers look like. So Two-thirds of our patients have no retinal disease and no disease of the macula at, at
2: presentation. Well, that's, that part is encouraging mm-hmm. on that. And one of the things that um, the retina doctors are doing more Uh, regarding this is with the administration of injections of Lucentis or Avastin to try to stall off or actually bring back some vision after some of the diabetes or the ravages of diabetes have occurred. Have you come across any of that within your uh, clinic? Well, yeah, that extends outside our
3: specific institute. So we Mm -hmm. collaborate through our eye care center, uh, which is... uh, run by um, Western U optometrists. Uh, they have a very close relationship with ophthalmologists who are retina specialists, and um, they, those patients can undergo these um, newer techniques, newer procedures that um, we're hearing is, are having wonderful effects on people. Um, like anything else in medicine, it needs to be sort of personalized and tailored to the individual patient, and, but certainly it's an option to, be con- to consider and if a patient were to find them, person were to find himself in that position, uh, needing a retina specialist, it would be another option to consider. So it's, again, another reason why we should not throw up our hands and be encouraged uh, and be very proactive. Uh, we certainly don't ever want to get to the point where we have to be considering which, which procedure am I going to get to improve my vision. We'd like to be able to make sure that nobody goes on to get that and uh, you know put the retina specialist out of business. That would be the ultimate goal.
2: It sure would be. It's such a ravaging disease. Uh, another thing that comes to mind, because I see these patients in my office, and that's with the genetic predisposition, not only to type 2 diabetes, because a lot of times they might be inheriting, or quote, inherit, inheriting the lifestyle, but the ravages of diabetes. Uh, is a genetic predisposition for someone perhaps to be more susceptible to vision loss or other losses such as kidney and so forth or is it just basically uh, what do I want to say the way they care for themselves their eating habits how much of this is genetic and how much do we look at this with the person for their risk factors of developing certain problems including b- blindness from this
3: Oh, that's a very um, tough question to answer uh, in that for, for type to diabetes, uh, the, the field of, of genetics and genomics is really um, still rather virginal. There's, um, there are a lot of potential genetic components to not just diabetes and why people get diabetes, but the complications and the susceptibility. So all of that is, is under um, a lot of investigation. Um, and largely, we're so early into this epidemic that some people you know, have never been looked at as far as a population and an ethnicity or, um, you know, kind of a cultural sense of what's the environment that they live in and what's the genetic makeup. So a lot of this is more questions than answers uh, as opposed to type 1, which is is really better understood as far as the genetic makeup. Uh, What we need to do, though, is as we're trying to figure out what this diabetes epidemic and pandemic is is think in terms of the heterogeneity of each individual every every diabetic is uniquely different from another from the next one and part of what our model does is it it looks at the phenotypic heterogeneity phenotype as opposed to genotype phenotype is how what are the outward manifestations of a condition so what's the level of the eye dis- disease what's the level of the of the oral periodontal disease, heart disease, et cetera. And there's probably a great deal of pattern uh, that exists in populations with diabetes that we have not hitherto been able to appreciate. And we need to, um, because we need to understand how this condition can play out in different people. And um, it's probably... a Big story between the genes and the environmental pressures that people live in uh, that uh, make a difference in why somebody's more susceptible to eye disease and and others are more susceptible to kidney disease and all of that we need to we need to know more about we need to learn and um, eventually this information as as it becomes available and the, the, the research b- begins to demonstrate that there are connections between genes and environment within populations is uh, allow us to target medications toward um, individuals based on their genetic makeup as well as some of their phenotypic makeup so that we're not just treating everybody the same way and we can really move toward precision-based care um, as is done with HIV disease uh, as well that we know more about a lot of times what's going on with HIV and the individual who has HIV, we know more about that relationship than we do about diabetes and that individual's relationship to diabetes and everything that goes along with their diabetes. Uh, So we have a lot to learn in in diabetes care uh, and we cannot just assume that we uh, have learned everything we need to learn.
2: Now one of the things that I have my patients saying this and I know you come across it too, is feeling that hey, uh, my primary care physician looks into my eyes uh, and examines me. Isn't that enough? Why yeah. do I need to go to a diabetic eye examination?
3: Yeah, no, we get, that, uh, we get that question from time to time, and it's understandable. <clears throat> Generally, when, a, when you go in to see your doctor, uh, your primary doctor, and they take a, um, an ophthalmoscope and look inside, you know, looking through a keyhole, um, they generally don't dilate the eye. They don't put medicine drops in that cause your your pupils to to dilate widely. So what what's happening is that the light is shining in and you're seeing just a portion of the back of the eye, the retina, where the blood vessels are and where the light sensors are that we then get transferred to the brain for vision. So um, there's this, it's an incomplete exam. So you really can't you only can see what you can see, but it's like looking through a keyhole into a room. So uh, what 's really needed is the ability to have an eye care specialist see as much of the retina as possible, so it needs to be fully dilated, and you need to look inside and even scan it, take a picture of that, and look at that picture closely for changes so even e- even just a naked eye look of of a of an eye doctor looking inside um, sometimes can 't capture what 's there you need to take a picture and so a device that can do uh, a scan, an image of that retina is um, essential to make sure that, you know, there is or isn't disease, and then that could be tracked over time. You can sort of look at these images from, from moment to moment, you know, what it looked like now, uh, What does it look like a year from now, and, and that's, that's important data that is needed to do a, a proper assessment and, and, and proper follow-up, uh, and that can't be done with just an opth- uh, ophthalmoscope exam in, in a doctor's office. So the, 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 uh, it's done for different reasons, and not everybody needs a retinal scan, but if you're a diabetic, uh, if you have diabetes of any kind, you're one of the people that needs to have an annual dilated eye exam uh, for proper assessment to not miss um, disease that
2: may not be readily seen by an ophthalmoscope. Exactly, and measuring the progression over time is extremely important. Okay, we're coming up against break. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the voiceofamerica.com radio, and we are with Dr. Andrew Pomerantz discussing diabetes.
0: If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga
1: Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at Ranchoidoctor.com There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local Chambers of Commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit Or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535. Or RanchoEyeDoctor.com.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or you can send an email to Rancho Optometric at Verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of
2: Vision Talk Radio. Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob. Dr. Pomerantz got a question up. How do you lower the risk of both diabetes and also the consequences of it regarding the visual system?
3: Well, if uh, an individual has diabetes and they want to prevent, decrease the risk of them developing blindness as well as other end-organ diseases, uh, the are three important things they need to do. They need to maintain uh, glucose, a, a proper control of their blood glucose. They should have a blood pressure, uh, which is maintained at goal and their lipids their blood cholesterol etc should be also low the three of those thing to, things together all factor into the risk of developing eye disease when you have diabetes and sadly in our country um, recent studies have shown that only about 14% of people with diabetes have all three controlled and um, uh, and even fewer people also don't uh, have stopped smoking so between glucose control, blood pressure, lipids, and also not smoking. Uh, if you, all those things can be done, you have lowered your risk of developing uh, diabetic eye disease significantly and um, you likely will, will live a very healthy life, even though you technically have diabetes. So that's very important. Um, and as I said from the numbers, uh, the vast majority of people are really not controlled, and that is what leads to the complications.
2: Another question, too, that comes to mind, and that's cardiovascular, and that's exercise, basically. Doing some type of walking, biking, uh, whatever you can think of, what role does that play as far as the health, the continuation of the different organ systems, especially the eye, and keeping it from actually deteriorating at such a rapid pace?
3: Yeah, well, you know, that's a... Very important point. Ex- movement of some kind on a regular basis, you know, where you're walking for an extended period of time, walk for half an hour, 45 minutes, you're getting your heart pumping, your muscles are moving. You're improving your body's cells' ability to um, metabolize the glucose that's in the bloodstream. And so the with type 2 diabetes, it's, uh, the, the condition is a combination of the pancreas not putting out as much glucose as it, I'm mean, sorry, there's enough insulin to manage the glucose that is taken in with a meal, and then the, the body's cells, the peripheral cells, the fat tissues, the muscle tissues, etc., cetera, um, can't, they're, they're, they're not as uh, responsive to the insulin that's in the bloodstream. So it's a combination of metabolic defects. And what exercise does is it improves the sensitivity of the tissues, the muscle tissues, the adipose tissues. It improves the sensitivity of insulin, so insulin works better. The same amount of insulin that was there before uh, is now working better. What that does is it lowers your glucose, so your glucose level becomes more close to where it should be, and therefore the effects of elevated glucose is, uh, are, are decreased, the, the bad effects, and all good things happen with exercise. All of that eventually leads to um, improvement of the blood vessels themselves, which are being affected by elevated glucose. And so it's a virtuous cycle of improvement. So actually, so medicines are an important part, including injectable insulin for some people, but exercise is part of the lifestyle changes that need to be done and um, are, are essential to decrease that risk to your blood vessels that lead to blindness, kidney disease, heart disease, et cetera. So people should be moving, and you move as much as you can and working with your, your team of providers to wow. understand what's the right type of exercise that can be done. And um, so um, their, the blood vessel health is very related to the elevations of glucose and the sensitivity of the tissues to uh, insulin, and all of that can be positively affected by proper exercise
2: and what I want to make sure of before we uh, conclude our interview here is I want the listeners to be able to get a hold of you where you're at possible email if they have specific questions regarding this what type of programs might be available in their area because like I said this show is going nationally and internationally Uh, how they can get a hold of you and the schools and so forth
3: we're located in Pomona, California, which is just about 30 miles east of downtown Los Angeles. And so if you're living in this area, it's, it, it's very easy to get to us. Um, the, um, for those, those of you who want to search us on the web, we're um, at uh, http colon forward slash forward slash wdi.westernu.edu. Um, our phone number here is 909 um 706-3779 and um you know we'd be happy to talk with with you if you um think you this is the kind of program you'd want to get into i would encourage you also to speak with your primary doctor about mm-hmm. this model um and that it's available for those of you that are living elsewhere and it's not practical to come here um for the short term the, the best thing to do is find out if there's a similar program somewhere in your area you talk to your doctor about that um, and if there isn't, then I would ask them, why not? And um, maybe it's time that other of these programs start to develop uh, in your area. So um, I think if we're going to see more of these, but uh, w- it depends on where you are actually living, um, whether it's available at this time, but
2: probably will be in in time. You know, one of the things that is so important is the cost of health care, the cost of diabetics, especially individuals who are suffering from it and all the ravages to the whole healthcare system. So this type of program, if it can save anybody from these problems, is immense, I would imagine. Uh, I can't imagine what the healthcare costs are for one individual among work relation, amputation, loss of vision, and so forth. What's the drain on the healthcare system and what a program like yours does to help prevent some of this from happening. Whatever it is, it's tremendous. And I'm sure it's going to develop more and more as it gets out there into the general public. I want to thank you very much, Dr. Pomeranz, for being on with us today. And uh, hopefully at a later date, we can have you on again, because there's such a great message here that I feel most of the listeners can certainly benefit, especially the ones who have diabetes. So again, I want to thank you very much for being on with us.
3: Thank you very much for asking, and I enjoyed speaking with you.
2: Okay, very good. Uh, Our next couple of shows, the next live show we will have, next week is Thanksgiving, will be on sports vision. I have Dr. Taylor Blade, an optometrist who deals both with high school and college athletes. And that's an area I'm very knowledgeable at because it deals with an area called vision training, deals with coordination of the eyes deals with actually being able to see depth to track a baseball. Wow. Uh, So I am really excited about having him. I want to thank Dr. Pomerantz for being here also, because the message that he gave is so important. There's a lot that can be done. There's an old expression, denial is not a river in Egypt. Uh, We need to be able to give information to people, and more importantly, We have to have these individuals be able to react to it. And that is a great difficulty in some situations. And with his program, the Western Diabetes Institute, I feel it's a great impetus to get this going. You've been talking with Dr. Bob Rothbard on voiceamerica.com and we look forward to seeing you uh, live in two weeks with Dr. Blade Taylor on Sports Vision. Have a great afternoon and evening. (laughs)
1: For tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.